Hey, hey, thanks for tuning in again, everybody. This is The Sopranos Podcast, Season 4, Episode 3, Imago. Where is our self-esteem? That's a quote by Tony Soprano in this episode, Season 4, Episode 3 of The Sopranos, entitled Christopher. The teleplay was written by Michael Imperioli with a story by Michael Imperioli and Maria Lorena. Directed by Tim Van Patten. So we're here. This is one of those series milestones of The Sopranos, in a way like College or like Pine Barrens, in that it is a monument unto itself, but for a much different reason than the episodes I mentioned. Yeah. This is Michael Imperioli's third time in the writer chair. Yeah. We've said that he's two for two. I mentioned it at the tail end of our last episode, but you know what? This episode regularly gets lauded <laughs> by fans as perhaps... Not the best Sopranos episode. In fact, if you were doing a ranked 86 episode list, nine fans out of ten might put this as their least favorite Sopranos episode. Mm-hmm. So, with that said, I'm Chris D'Amato. I'm Paul Mantini. And I'm Jordan Hugh. And, yeah, give me your give me your first thoughts after concluding the episode, Christopher. Yeah, I didn't like it. Um, okay. I don't like the episode. Um, you, I, the last episode you purported not to like just flat out hit. What, was a hit, a, hit. a hit, which is much better than this episode. Wow! So this is okay. Yeah, interesting. Um, I don't like it. I, this is I don't I don't want to be a whiny crybaby this episode or anything like that. Well, like I was for our friend Alan. In the <laughs> that's right. Not like I was for Prussia Lavushka, which was a much better episode. Um, <laughs> I I didn't like it. Uh, I it was not a bad episode of television. Like I I was content to watch it knowing i was watching the sopranos and doing a season four viewing experience it's necessary of course it was just i didn't like it and and the reason why i didn't like it was because i felt it was a it was essentially a one issue episode i wasn't really particularly interested in the issue that they were discussing though i agree it's an interesting topic i just didn't really care about how it was presented and I was so much more interested in the other storylines that were teased in the first two episodes, and I wanted to see those followed up on, and they gave me breadcrumbs. Mm. They gave me almost nothing to fulfill me. And the episode, I don't know what the ac- actual runtime is, but it actually like kind of felt a little short and a little superficial in its construction. I don't know. We can have a very good, very intelligent conversation about it, and we shall. But this is, I didn't like it. I didn't like this episode. Um, my first note is just, it's a comedy, lighten up. Yeah. But, all right, all right. <laughs> but no, I will. <laughs> but I think that actually those points are all valid. Like those, like, isn't it interesting that a lot of the? I don't think it's spoiling too much to note that we're not coming back to the Columbus Day controversy next week. But a lot what? of the, <laughs> but a lot of the runners are kind of they're quiet here. That you know we get a little bit of them, but that's the stuff we're going to deal with. We're going to deal with later what's going on with Bobby and. Um, What's going to be the lingering effects of stuff like Polly talking to Johnny Sack? And this is more like a one-off, which I do enjoy, I think, more than a lot of people. Mm. But also a lot of the, the criticisms do make sense to me, I have to admit. Um, yeah, it's one of those both-can-be-right situations. Yeah. So you can pop it in and enjoy it, but it's also maybe perhaps not the best. Right. And it's also, to, to enjoy it would also be to... I guess be very real about the fact that it's the third episode of a season mm. as opposed to where, not that the early episodes of a Sopranos season can't be good, they can be quite good, but the Sopranos does a slow burn and the heavy hitting stuff is often in a back half. So, you know, I still dig it. Um, a lot of the notes, I again, I totally get. What I think is funny and interesting about it is coming back to it over time, 
the reason that it still strikes something for me is that controversies like this have gotten, it seems like, crazier. <clears throat> and the way in which we carry ourselves through them, just my opinion, and I don't, I don't need to get up on a soapbox here, have become a bit too much and I think sillier over time. Yeah. So the fact that the show is having some fun with how the, particularly the gangsters, but even the American Indians approach this um, and how it can be too much is very funny and uh, intriguing to me. Yeah. It certainly taps into many things that have arguably gotten much more abrasive and worse in contemporary times. One of the ways that The Sopranos remains relevant is present here. But I feel similarly, guys. It's, I was, it's not like an episode that overwhelms me with joy. It's something I can have fun, laugh at the funny moments, enjoy the little plot crumbs they drop, and... It's a fun issue to think about. I will give them credit for this because I think my biggest issue with Hit as a Hit wasn't so much the episode itself, but its placement in that season. Because mm. things were really starting to heat up between Junior and Tony. His therapy has been outed to his enemies. Threats have been made. Moves have been made. Potential, is, you know, and everything is just heating up and then we get a Hit as a Hit. And it's like, oh, this is an odd placement for this. And to be sidetracked with, again, something that's interesting. It's comparable in that way because it's like Tony, the show's exploring something. It's it's picking uh, Tony and these normal, as we called them at the time, the country club whites, right? The, the Metagon. The Metagon, right? And he's kind of playing with that and feeling what it's like to be a source of amusement for them. But I'll give him credit. Chris, this was placed not as an opener, thankfully, but like early in the season, so that the tension of season four is not cut midway through with something like this. Yeah. This is, you know, if you're gonna do an episode like this, this is a good placement for it. Yeah, I, I don't mean this unkindly, but also like our first two episodes this season were not as um, they're good, but they were not as maybe as exciting or as strong as some other first two episodes in a season. Mm. Uh, you know, that we've had previously, and then, like, you're almost kind of waiting for it to heat up, and then it's so early that we have this divergent episode, you mm -hmm. know, so maybe that's affecting my opinion of it as well, mm -hmm. is that we're kind of coming in, it's a more deliberately paced, slower season, episode one, deliberately paced and slow, episode two, really good episode, but again, deliberately paced and slow, and then episode three is just like, all right, now we're going to heat it up, and it's, oh no, it's a divergent episode, really early in the season, okay, interesting, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, by this time in season two, we were just meeting Richie April, he right. sat the, down with Beansy. The, the official heat up. Correct. Know? And even in uh, season three, the third episode was like, the almost kind of the official start of the season at that right. point, yeah, you know, because we had kind of swerved off of Nancy Marchand's passing and did Mr. Ruggiero's Neighborhood, which is... Uh, interesting, weird episode, and then we did Prussia Lavushka, which we've gone through, and then the episode really started in earnest with Fortunate Son. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So, here's how I want to tackle this, guys, because we, what I like to do is I consider us a format-free show. And what I mean by that is I tackle each episode... Who's Matt Free? <laughs> he's, uh, he's our producer. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Oh. Thanks, everyone. We'll be here all week. <laughs> <laughs> But what I like to it's do is... It's a really bad joke, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's a terrible joke, but I'm leaving it in. Uh. You're welcome. And what I like to do is tackle each episode in the way that I think is best servicing that episode. Sometimes that means I'll pick apart the plots, ABC plot, and we'll dissect one, dissect another, dissect a third. Other times that means we go chronologically scene by scene, and that best serves the breakdown for the episode. I actually don't think either are quite appropriate for this, so you're going to get a little bit of a different format here 
in our particular episode. What I would like to do, guys, if you're on board, is I want to talk about, first, a lot of the actual plot points in the show that are propelling the season narrative forward that we can touch on first. Okay. And then we'll get into the whole, rather than a scene-by-scene dissection, we'll just get into a freeform discussion about the Columbus plot and what they were going for here. Okay, sure. So that's how I want to handle this, I think. Do you have an order you want to work in, or do you want us to propose something? If you have an idea, throw it out there. Well, why don't we try to start with the disparate smaller pieces first, maybe? Because then we can have our big, like, discussion about... uh, Columbus and being PC or woke at kind of the end of the episode. Does sure. That work? Yeah, I, I agree with that. Okay, so do we want to start maybe with the death of poor Karen Bacala? Yeah, yeah. That's to me the big meat of the story as far as what's going to carry through the rest of the show. Right, okay. So, yeah. We... This part of the show, by the way, was really good, yes. I should say. I, I unabashedly like this plot line and it's yeah. good. And because yeah. it ties in, I think we also need to include in this discussion everything with Ralph and Janice because Janice is starting to Janice and Bobby's separate stories at first begin to converge at a point and we'll talk about that right oh, okay so let's do the Bobby Karen slash Janice sure. Ralphie element of it yeah so we've only seen Karen a handful of times right I think her very first appearance was actually in the season premiere when whenever we see breakfast. her she's so nice yeah but she, she's so pleasant She's she's just very sweet. She made Junior a lovely breakfast. She's very clearly a nice mom to her kids. She was at this ladies' luncheon, yeah. for the Italian American thing, and she was one of the more pleasant women. You know, yeah. whereas Gabby and some of the other women were very offended. Karen was another one who was just kind of like you know, keeping it light and well, like Bobby. Yeah, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, she seems Bobby's like a really nice lady. Yep, very sweet. Um, I I enjoy her for the little bit of her we get. We don't get much. We mm-hmm. get just enough to care about her. Yep, she dies. Uh, in a traffic accident, so yeah. it's a tragic death. And what um, a rough thing to do, where Bobby is... At first, it's not entirely clear, but then he clarifies it in his discussion Later in the episode, Janice, that's right, yeah. That he's actually stuck in traffic because of Karen's accident. That's right. brutal. Right. Yeah, and I think... I mean, it's... I mean, of course, it's his wife. It's a, But if you've ever... If anyone listening, and I'm sure people have, have ever... If your last meeting with someone was not great mm. before they passed away, then there's guilt that comes with that. Yeah. And Bobby is broken yeah. with this loss and what mm-hmm. the, the ending was like. He feels for her, you know, it sucks. Is he was Things are really starting to just look up for Bobby. He got bumped up, mm-hmm. promotion, you know, career, big career promotion. He's dropping weight. He seems to be getting more respect around the other gangsters. And then this happens, takes it right away from him. Sad. Yeah. Things are looking up for the Bacchulieri family. Sure. He's also a uh, something of a an outlier in this world, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. He has an authentic loving marriage. Yeah. It doesn't seem like he fucks around at all. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't have a guman. Yeah. Um, he has small children as opposed to most everyone else who has children that are at least grown to yeah. a, a point. Yep. Right, so he's a young father, his children are young. Like, he was almost more like a typical family man. Like, if there was anybody you could ever see getting out of this life and being okay, it would have been Bacala, mm-hmm. right? But now his wife is is passed, and uh, he's having a hard time dealing with it, and um, it's it's so moving to see how much he loved her, and yeah. ultimately that is what is attractive to Janice. Mm-hmm. It's that genuine emotional feeling that she's been craving ever since she's a child. Yeah. That she's never <laughs> been provided mm-hmm. by anyone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's easy to laugh in a way at Janice and Sandy's scenes because it's so 
I don't know what the word is, but Janice clearly doesn't tell the truth to her therapist about the way she behaves and interacts with the world. <laughs> sure. Her, her last boyfriend abandoned her. Yeah. Went off in witness protection. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so there's an element of bullshit in that whole thing that you have to roll your eyes at, and this therapist is validating her in ways that she perhaps doesn't deserve to be validated. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like the last episode with Meadow, where the pain is real. Janice just is kind of a shithead with it. That's all. You know what yeah. I mean? So, yeah, this is interesting because we find out more about their marriage, too, in this great scene during the funeral. First of all, I love the way the shot is composed. You got all those women dressed in black, and I just wrote, my God, the Sopranos women, they just look so strong and beautiful in that moment in the funeral parlor. The way the shot's framed, and you see, like, Carmela and Rosalie and Gabri Gabby and Aid and then you know, Ginny sits down. So yeah. it's like, oh man, look at look at these women and sure. dressed in the black, the funeral, all the Italian shit, the crosses and the they look they looked very good. Well they're used to attending a lot of these, you know. Yeah. I mean they <laughs> they have the go to funeral selection in their closets. These and are indeed the, they it would seem as though they have reflecting of what you're talking about, Chris, they have an important job to do that they take seriously mm-hmm. that for the next for the first the Zini Patrol yeah you're Zini on Patrol. I love when Ralphie says that you're this on Zini family Patrol can't, too yeah this family <laughs> can't be expected to cook so they're gonna bring stuff over this family's gonna be rolling in the, these dishes I love this conceit it's very compelling it's funny but it's real um, yeah and I, lo- I mean I love this funeral scene well love might not be the right word but Steve Trippa I've said this before has this ability to cry where it seems like again Sometimes you see an actor cry in a movie or a show, and it's like, you probably should have just not cried at all, um, <laughs> as opposed to making it look this fake. But he looks like he's kind of losing it. Yeah. And it is weird, and it's oddly funny in a way, even though mm-hmm. I absolutely feel for him in this context. Yeah. So, I mean, these scenes really were working for me. And uh, Carmela asks who was on who was yeah. talking to on the phone, who do you think? Yeah. I love that they elucidate through that conversation that Bobby, they were laughing at Bobby. He's the only one who never had a Gumar. So Bobby, that was a genuine love. Contrast that with what we start our journey with Ralphie and Janice in this episode. A scene that is simultaneously unforgettable and the one you most want to forget. Lily said (laughs) on this podcast, I think maybe Ralph is closeted. And I... It's not that I was dismissive. I just, I was really protecting my theory that just, like, the dude's just weird, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, because of the nature of their sexual play, I guess perhaps I should have just accepted that maybe Lily knows more than I do about where this <laughs> character is heading or what's going on with that. I will say this. I know other straight men that do like that kind of stuff, and it doesn't make them gay. Right. But this does lend more credibility to that, sure. Yeah, there's more going on there than we've already been led to believe, and it was already weird. Sure. Just they yeah. keep doing... They keep doubling down on this guy is sexually weird in some way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm not judging, but yeah, yeah. it's valid. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> it might also point to what works between them, because... I don't know if Janice is into kinky stuff or she's just open, quote unquote. She's open. You know, she's open. Yeah. Who knows what Janice is genuinely into? She's one of these people who, we've talked about one of the things about Janice. She'll mold into whatever role she needs to. She'll be a preppy looking Jersey housewife when she's getting married to Richie April and buying the house, and she'll be a hippie from Seattle with the miso soup and the ergonomic pillow. <laughs> it seems, from what we've seen, that she's kind of sexually fluid in that way, too. She'll have Richie dominating her with a gun at her head, telling him how much he's the boss, 
And she'll be sticking a dildo up Ralph's ass and pimping him out like the slut that he is. Who's the boss now? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. She's, Dear Lord. This is Janice. She, she's a <laughs> chameleon. She'll mold into whatever roles she needs to to get through the situation. Yeah. Yeah, and I thought, I mean, you know, in the first, I think in the first episode of the season, we saw them snorting coke together. Mm-hmm. I assume that's still going on. Oh, sure. I mean, it's part of the, this whole adventure um, that they're taking. Gulp. <laughs> Uh, we're so wacky. Yeah, wacky. Yeah, that's who you are. Yeah, oh, that's God the word. That. Sure. <laughs> wacky, wacky is right. No, chicken's great. <laughs> so I guess if we're following along this uh, line, right, yeah. other relevant scenes for us would be that, uh, you know, uh, in that same scene, Janice discovers that she has uh, forgotten it's her night on ZD Patrol. Yep. Right? She fails to deliver dinner to that family at all. Yeah, this Which is... I'm sure they're okay just because I, I know from funerals my own family has gone through, you have enough food for a few days. Them missing one drop wasn't like they starved that night, right? Right, yeah. I'm sure Carmela, when she came, probably brought enough for like four days That's worth the of thing. food. You, you bring know the what I mean? Tray. Right, so they're okay. So she goes the next night, she brings, uh, I think, KFC. Yeah. Which actually looked great. And explains that her church group. Had a was having luck. a sale. <laughs> having a potluck. <laughs> a potluck for the homeless, Paul. That's what a weird excuse. Well, that's the point. I mean, as Jordan says, it doesn't even matter too much, but we still see how she went. <laughs> she came up with a yeah, lie. <laughs> right. Uh, he doesn't care that she's missed, obviously. Um, well, he's, you know, what's ironic is any other time in Bobby's life and anyone's life, my life, if you got a bunch of amazing Italian housewives cooking you home-cooked shit and bringing it to your house every night on a patrol... A rotating, you know, a rotating system, that'd be great. But of course, at this exact moment, it's when Bobby sure. could give a shit about. Sure, it. it's like the great irony of that. It's just like you don't even want to eat it, right? Right. It's restaurant quality or better food, and you don't want to even touch it, really. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, you know, the kids are getting some nourishment out of that for him. He's, and Bobby's he looks too sick to eat it. Right. Um, and Bobby I, loves his food. He had his steak sandwich and fries the other the yeah. last time he saw him, and now he's like, food, food, is, you know, everyone thinks... He's downplaying the role of food. Right, it? he's rejecting the food. The food yeah. is an enchanted object in this show, right? He's like, a, you can't fix this? Yeah. You know? Um, so she's brought this offering of food that is truly subpar. It's KFC, it's fast food, it's delicious, but it's not nourishing, mm. right? And as, I think it's kind of delivered as like a you know, a consolation, like, oh, you know, if you ever want to talk, you know, I feel bad I missed dropping off dinner to you. I am here if you want to talk. We've been neighbors, whatever. And the the shock is that he actually does open up, right? Mm-hmm. He he doesn't hide his feelings like I think every make, other yeah. man in this universe would. Yes. You know, no other male character would say fucking anything. He'd just be like, thanks very much. Uh, I, I need I need some time or, or leave me alone or, or whatever. Or would joke about it or something. Yeah. He opens up his entire heart and cries right before her and is still mourning his wife as if he's before her coffin. And she, the look on her face is just like the glimpsing of, oh my God, genuine emotion. There's the love I've been looking for all my life. No one has ever loved me like that. I've never seen that. I want that. You think about the men we've seen her with. Yeah, the worst. The, the worst of Talk men. about bottling shit up. Whatever right. was going on with Richie April was never going to come out of his mouth. Ooh, no. And Ralphie's another one. Clearly some bottled up shit going on there that's never going to come out or be discussed or mentioned ever again. So, As he stated, it seems outright. No guilt, no bullshit, just sex. That's yeah. What he, that's what, you know. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it's about the fact that as Sandy, her therapist, said, you're trying to please these men, or you're trying to please your father vis-a-vis your brother, all that, whatever. I I don't know, that psychological 
stuff sometimes gets a little well, too. Yeah, uh, I, little, I mean, it's who's like, to say? On. You know, right? It's an easy theory, in my opinion, but whatever. But what it's also really about too, and I wrote this when, because you do see that look of genuine recognition and shock on Janice's face when Bobby's opening up, and I believe that she's genuinely moved. But I also am like, oh no. Is Janice, like, does Janice like Bobby? Like, does Bobby deserve someone like Janice liking him? And so what's crazy about that is, on one hand, it is a new and obviously attractive thing for Janice. But at the same time, I wrote, Bobby is maybe one of the most genuine characters on the show. He doesn't suffer much bullshit. He tells Tony with the promotion a few episodes ago, yeah, frankly, it should have happened a long time ago. He doesn't have a Gumar. He really loves his wife. And Janice is all bullshit. Yeah. Janice is entirely performance, facade, chameleon, blending. And that is why I feel uncomfortable with the idea of her being attracted to Bobby. Because it's like, you're going to put this the phoniest character on the show with the most genuine character. Mm-hmm. It's tough. But... Kind of interesting. <laughs> oh, it's definitely interesting right. drama. <laughs> Simultaneously, Ralphie, who's in this... Oh, this fucking her, His own version of a Morfu with Janice, has to break it off with Rosalie. And poor Ro, you know, I, I, I know she's lost a son and a husband, and nothing will be worse than that. But again, this is a friend. This is someone that they... Was in, was in her friendship circle. It would be like if one of our friends died just someone you're close with and around all the time it's ter- terrible it's tragic that you saw a half hour ago right exactly at this luncheon yeah. even the way that Sharon Angela plays this first scene where she finds out Carmela clearly beaten up devastated by the news is you know she's going to be okay and you see how tough it is for Rosalie it's like mm-hmm. a re-traumatization i guess and this is not an, anything to do with Sharon Angela i think Sharon Angela is a gorgeous woman but she looks terrible here in the yeah. scene with Ralphie. She looks, her skin's not cared sure. for. She Which is a pale. challenge because that actor is good looking. She's very, very, very attractive woman, woman, I think. Yeah. Yes. She she's, makes reference to she's lost this something. She says, I lost my looks, which I, I in my head I was kind of like, well, you, you haven't, but you look bad in this scene. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah her yeah. hair is kind of wispy and thrown together, not really well, and, and she looks gaunt and her skin is pale and there are lines on her face that shouldn't be there. So you really see the pain of this character, and she's smoking the cigarette and confessing to Ralphie. And Ralphie, we know, has not given a shit about Rosalie's plight from minute one. No, he's a sociopath. It's been an inconvenience to him. Just remember in the end of three when she was crying about Jackie, uh, Roe, the grief, I can't. State of my gumas. State of my gumas. Yeah, it's like, Jesus Christ, dude. So he doesn't give a shit, but he's finally hit his end point with it between this thing going on with Janice and he mentioned in the basketball scene last episode how it could be not only good that way, but beneficial for his career. So he's going all in on this, and Rosalie, another heartbreak, though I love the way she handles it. She doesn't give him any kind of, oh, yeah, we'll end this amicably. It's just like, it's always about you, your needs, your bullshit. Man, Ralph really fucks up this breakup, too. Yeah. I mean, for a character who's like, you can he can really turn on the charm when he wants, my God, like, listen to yourself, man. Yeah. Like, you're not even faking it well. Yeah. Yeah. What's in it for me? Yeah, what's in it for me? What the fuck? This woman lost her husband, her son, uh, a friend today. Yeah. 
And now? And you're asking what's in it for me? Fuck you, man. Yeah, so I would have done a lot worse than she did. Yeah. So Bobby's devotion to Karen makes all the rest of them throughout the whole thing look petty, of course. And when Ralphie says that line, I think, he, what about me? What do I get out of it? I think the question I asked was, well, if that's your question, similar to, if that if the, if that's the conceit of why you take part in a cultural image in Imago, then what does it really mean? Mm. If you're not trying to help a community or trying to uh, spread the love around, if you're getting something out of it, then it's just you getting something out of it. What is it really, what's the value? Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she tries to answer him, like, what you get out of it. Have it all your needs met uh, sexually or whatever? I read the subtext there. Maybe she knows about some of his weird sexual stuff, so it's mm -hmm. it's more than she's had to do in the past, maybe more than she's comfortable with, I'm I'm assuming. Yeah. Uh, so that's in the mix, too. And yeah, she kicks him right out. And yeah. You know oh, what? I love that. You know what, Ro? You don't know what good a move you made. <laughs> Correct. Get rid of him. Good. Yeah, this is yes, not a please. loss like the other losses you've experienced. This is a net positive. You Correct. just may not feel it in the right. moment. But I love it. He's like, it doesn't have to be this way. How should it be? How the fuck should it be? That's yeah, it. Nothing yeah. else to say. Get Ralph out. Just Get out. cowers out slowly. And that's it. But he drives up Stanley Kowalski style from <laughs> Streetcar Named Desire. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Funny enough, that's how Ida Turturro and James Gandolfini met. That's correct. Right? They're in a production of Streetcar Named Desire. He played Stanley. She played Blanche. Yep. I think is correct. Or, yeah. or did she play Stella? One of, one of the two. One of the two. I think it, yeah. Oh, it's just just a, a cute thing I noted. It was Correct. Just, yeah. yeah, but that is a fun little connection there. Yeah. And you can see right away she's moved on mentally, but, uh-oh, he dumped her? Whoops. Oh, shit. And then by the time he does his nonsense, she gets swept up in it, and they head upstairs, and that's how that goes. But, right, that's how she misses the ZD drop. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. But then <laughs> she has her second therapy session... With Sandy and telling her about this guy and how moved she was by him. And of course, this does fit the pattern on paper. It's another one of Tony's colleagues or Tony's guys who work for Tony. The difference is Bobby is different. Bobby is certainly different than Richie April and Ralphie. Yeah. And Janice insists on that. You actually see the therapist is taken aback by mm -hmm. that. Like, oh, okay. okay. So we'll see where this is going, but she has to first deal with Ralphie and. <laughs> Let him let great scene. tell the truth with the respect and compassion that you're famous for. And you know what? To be fair, that's exactly what she did. She just, I don't think the therapist understood. But this is exactly the, the respect and compassion that Janice is famous for. He, he arrives with his little namby-pamby beautiful overnight bags or whatever they are. Like beautiful valises. Yep. I guess, if, I guess he fares better than the last guy who pissed her off in this house. This is that's, true. That's true. That's yeah, true. So he might need to leave in a back brace, but not a body bag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, my back. <laughs> he is funny, isn't he? He's yeah, she about fucking his back. pushes him down the stairs. Get out, get out. Again, Screaming at him. Came down to the shoes again. Yeah. <laughs> the Ferragamos, they cause so much trouble. Yeah. <laughs> you take a shit. Oh, sorry. Comes up thinking he's going to, you're sorry. You're fucking sorry. <laughs> slapping. Uh, it's really Shows good. Him it's really good. Calls her a crazy cunt. Yeah, he yeah. says some other horrible shit, too. I'll yeah. kill you, I'll kill you, whatever. Which uh, she's heard before. Like, whatever, get the fuck get out. Get out, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, which, once he gets, once the initial wave of rage is gone, any thought to any harm he's going to do to her, Yeah. if he's half as smart as he has been, 
will go away quickly. Correct. That's his own death warrant, obviously. Sure, sure, yeah. sure. And uh, listen, the way he flips down the stairs, I don't know if that was the actual actor, stuntman, whatever, probably it's not man. Uh, that looked like it hurt. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. he's in his 40s. He can't take a fall like that. I mean, yeah. that's tough. No, it's not good. He's going he's gonna to spend a few days recovering from <laughs> Yeah. And that's how we leave off there. So we'll see what's going to happen with Janice, Bobby, Ralphie, this situation. All things considered about Christopher, before we move on to the next subject, I do want to say this, despite whatever else is going on here. I'll say this is a good Ralphie episode, because he actually touches... Good Ralphie episode. He touches down in each of the things that are happening. Yes! He's involved in the Columbus thing, he's involved in the next thing we're going to talk about, and he's involved in this thing with Janice. Uh, But the next thing I want to bring up is... Started in this episode with a little phone call. I warned of this in the last episode. Who has Paulie been talking to? Who's his friend? He calls. I love how they do this. Area code 917. We know where that is. New York. Johnny Sack picks up back of the bar that they hang out in with Carmine. Paulie simply has to offer his sorrow for the joke, and I hope it didn't get back to the missus. What? What do you mean? Oh, you didn't hear? Never mind. And then that that's it. Of course, yeah. John's not going to let it go. Nope. Fuck that. I demand you tell me, Paulie. And that's it. Paulie, let that out. That can't be good, can it? Man, the way Paulie, Paulie <laughs> loves telling this. He looks yeah. like he's so pleased. Yeah. Like it's, <laughs> uh, yeah that. it's so enjoyable to watch Tony Sirocco. Yeah. Relay this on the phone. He's like eating up every yeah. second. Mm. Nom, 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 Yeah. I love that he's... <laughs> <laughs> because he's in prison, he's out of sight, out of mind for everybody, but I just love how much shit he's stirring from prison just with these this one scene per episode thing now. And it's, you know, we're touching down on Paulie once per episode in the orange jumpsuit. It's possible they shot all of his scenes in like a week. I've, I'm, I thought maybe even a day. Yeah. I was like, let's just get all your stuff done so you can go home and recover. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's very True. funny. It's a good point. Very funny, but, but God, it's it's great. Uh, <laughs> it's really good. Yeah. But the rest of the episode, there are these little touchstone moments where we're very slightly advancing the plot line with New York and the Esplanade and the real estate deal. Right. And... We first get this sort of business meeting. I want to say first off, before we talk about what happened with Johnny and Ralphie here and what's going on with the information being leaked to New York, that Carmine Lupertazzi is a boss. I love that he's at the meeting. He's at the meeting physically, just eating his dinner while Johnny speaks for him like a lawyer. Yep. That's a boss. That's the boss of a family. He's not saying it. You're not going to get him on a mic talking about any of this stuff. He's going to sit there and eat his fucking linguine. And Johnny is going to represent the family to Tony. I love that vibe. Carmine is an old school mob Don. That is the boss. So it projects a certain power there. The strong silent type that Tony has to respect and admire. They're talking about staffing at the Esplanade and put it, you know, tell Mazarone to hire laborers off the books. Ralphie says, and no one's talking to you. Snaps, which is a little like, oh, okay. Fine, okay, Jesus. Ralphie just immediately retreats, like, sorry. And These two used to be friendly. Oh, very. Ralphie went to Johnny when he had his issue with the stripper. (laughs) So this is where the intrigue obviously is. Paulie also told Johnny some stuff about, some details about Zellman, 
and that comes up next. And that's, I think, more important, mm -hmm. actually. Tony says, reflecting on it later on, somebody's talking too much, yep. and it's costing me money. Yeah, mm -hmm. Tony doesn't know where the leak in his ship is. But, yeah. now he but he knows there is one. Yeah, right? yeah. I, love, yeah. I love that moment when John is talking about the property on Freeland Heisen Avenue. In that, like, look, Silvio and Tony give a look at each other like, what the fuck is this? Who's talking? Yeah. Tony plays it cool, right? But, yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting there. And the logic being, this is very mob logic. I think it's kind of bullshit, but what are you going to do? It's a New York family. We share Zelman, so any money you make with Zelman ever, we get in on. I think that's kind of dumb, but I guess that's how the rules of crooked politicians go. Right, I don't know, but yeah, I mean, you know, he, he's well, I mean, staking that, his claim, yeah. and then this happens again, where we're at the funeral for right. Karen, right. and Ralphie shows up with an envelope for Allegra, his do uh, Johnny's daughter Allegra's nursing school graduation. Sorry, I missed it; it was inexcusable. Great but I got detail, it. right? Yeah. <laughs> nursing school graduation. Yeah, yeah. and John kind of smiles at him after signing the guest book. He, he, in theory, he's going to take the envelope. Thanks, Ralph. I appreciate this. It's a nice gesture. Slaps an envelope of money out of Ralph's hand. That's how you know this is bad. Stick it in your ass. What the fuck, John? Now, now Ralph is like, all right, that wasn't just a one-off odd comment at dinner. This is a thing now. And there's a throw... I want to mention this before we get back to the meat of the story. There's a throwaway line here that had me pause the episode. I was laughing so hard. I always forget about this line. But Tony walks in, oh, Count Chocula. <laughs> Which is, yeah, yeah, Johnny Sack, Count Chocula. That's <laughs> that's surprisingly bang on. I really like that. And Johnny just says flat out, "Keep him away from me." And we don't know what this is about. It's a mystery. John won't allow. I don't want to talk about it. Tony's got a good look too to Ralph. Like, what the fuck did you do now? And Ralph is like, I have no idea. They they can't conceive of the idea. That someone at that dinner told John that joke, and that's what that's about. They don't know what it's about yet. Yeah. But, bad news. This is not good. And this Esplanade is the biggest money maker for either family right Correct. now. Correct. And in a time where no one's making money. Exactly. Yeah. And Ralph is the spearhead for the Jersey team on that. So this is bad news. This is going to fuck shit up if it's not addressed yeah we're yep. from new york and we get a part of jersey makes about as much sense as we're from europe and we own this joint by the right. way so and so tony and still have that conversation somebody's talking too much it's costing me money so they know that this is going to come to a head at some point and some the leak has to be plugged we'll get back to that but other than that those are the non-columbus day related plot threads in the episode. Do you have anything else to say about those before we move on to the... Nope, we've talked about all the good parts of the episode. <laughs> now we got to get to the genocide. <laughs> Imago, Images, Columbus. The episode starts off with this. And we're not going to go beat by beat through it, but it the, this scene lets you know right away what our A-plot is. They're sitting around... Seeming like they're betting on the license plates, out-of-state license plates. Patsy's... Oh, Massachusetts. <laughs> Just Vito's getting his fucking suntan. They're reading the paper. This is something that is an even louder discussion now than it was back when this episode was written and shot every Columbus Day. First of all, most official calendars now have this a co-holiday with Indigenous Peoples Day and Columbus Day. 
So this issue has only gotten more prominent, not less. Mm-hmm. And they're all defensive about it, that the Native Americans, led by this Del Red Clay, who's a professor at Rutgers, an anthropology professor, is, <laughs> to quote Ralphie's pun, spearheading, no pun intended, <laughs> a protest against the Italian Columbus, the, the Italian-led Columbus Day Parade. So, how should we start this discussion? What were they going for here? Why address this? I think it was a point of frustration. I shared a story with you guys at dinner last night, but I'm going to share it now on the podcast. There was an interesting incident. I'm from, originally, the Connecticut area, and there was an FBI headquarters branch that opened up in New Haven, and it was a brand-new state-of-the-art building, and they were giving public tours at certain hours of the place. And I remember a controversy. It was in the late 90s or early 2000s. I can't give an exact year. But one of the FBI agents had a a Sopranos poster up in his cubicle. And it made the local news because anti-Italian defamation lobbies and people were up in arms about it. Not only that, oh, is this how the FBI sees us as gangsters, Italian-Americans? But also because our federal money is our tax money is going into this approval of this portrayal of Italian Americans. So I think what ended up happening is the FBI announced that they would have the guy take the poster out of his cubicle and oh yeah, we're also not gonna give tours of this building anymore. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> so I think that this discussion, the Richards of the world, and by Richards I mean uh, who we actually saw in one scene of this episode, Richard being Melfi's fiance, yeah. who we've touched on this discussion, not had oh, its yeah. own episode on, who we touched on in this episode, the Richards of the world had given the Sopranos some grief. And I think perhaps, because this is pre-Twitter, this was maybe the show's way of responding to the whole controversy about the show's portrayal of Italian-Americans. It might have been their way of saying, you know what, let's address it once, give our fucking final say on it, and then we're done. Yeah. Which might well be how it turns out clunky. Right. It's uh, it, it does seem to me like we're dealing with some very similar themes to Legend of Tennessee Moltisante, a much better episode, more effective more connected to, I think, there's a richness in the character and the development of Chris there in particular that's powerful. Here, it's more putting that goofy comedic foot forward. It's not as effective. I think there are interesting things about it. Um, For me, in the opening, for example, something that some people, not everybody, don't like about this is they don't like, say, the particular characters who do get sentimental about this issue. Um, Hard disagree. I love this. I love that it's not the people you expect. I love that it's Silvio. I love that Fiorio doesn't get this. Yeah. Because he's not American. And they don't get his regional Italian conflict. Yeah. That comes not out of racial strife, where a lot of Americans' uh, social upheaval is, nor religious or anything else. It's regional. It's like, oh, the people in the North, they look down their nose at us. And Vito's like, come on, take it easy. It's like, no, you see... He doesn't get it because he's not from here. You don't get it because you're not from there. Why aren't we interrogating ourselves about this? Um, Interestingly, Furio's point of view, I think, is much closer to what Columbus's actually would have been, being from Italy, having never 
actually set foot in a country called Italy, having thought of himself more as Genovese, that mm. would have been his country, and that's how he would have thought of himself, and he would have looked down on the people in the South. They were from another country. Yeah. Um, so it just, I thought it was a funny setup. I agree. One thing I do love about the way Tony navigates this early on is we find out at the end his true feelings on the whole thing. There's this sense that he's begrudgingly going along because it's clearly bothering Syl. It's a disruption to business the way they first attempt to go after it, right? They go to the protest. Artie gets fucking milkshaked in a hilarious physical bit there. George gets George gets George, beaten by cops. He's probably the, the bruises from the ice bucket probably just wore off. <laughs> he's getting beat by night sticks. Cops that escalated so quickly. Patsy's climbing trying to take the Columbus figure down and <laughs> Artie I don't know what the fuck he was thinking even going to this thing but it's hilarious that once it got bad he had to get out of there. Fucking Pauly Little Polly takes a bottle of the back of the head, gets busted, cut open, yeah. and Patsy gets arrested. Tony's not wrong. They did lose face down there. That's embarrassing. If I were the boss of a mob crew and that's how they made us look in public, I'd be fucking furious too. Sure. And a little bit of more physical comedy. When, to when Tony goes up behind Patsy Parisi, the fuck are you doing? Slaps her on the back of the head. Patsy's like snap reaction is so funny <laughs> to me. He's so physically... I love Dan Grimaldi. We've raved about him the last couple episodes. Yeah, we're... Patsy's like an MVP. Yeah. Fucking <laughs> so good. But anyway, to the point, what I love about Tony is he's skeptical about this, but it's disrupting business. It means something to Silvio, who he has to get along with and he has to work with. So when Sylvia says, we need your leadership on this, okay, but we're going to do this the right way. He's kind of begrudgingly taking the reins for a little bit. Yeah. He makes an attempt, reaches out to Zellman. Of course, Zellman politically doesn't want to touch it. The Native Americans, First Amendment, that's touchy stuff. Yeah, huge help, as always, <laughs> Zellman. Um, Silvio appealing to Tony's vanity mm -hmm. and his sense of his own leadership is maybe the only smart thing Silvio does in this episode. Right. Um, that actually does get Tony interested. But you're right, it, it's temporary. He's not... I think he's he's trying... It, but but Tony tr sees the bullshit, because, to, again, Tony sees through bullshit. Yep. These guys are like, we got to do something. And then they have that lingering shot outside of Satriaz. I'm going to do something about this, Silvio says. And then the camera lingers on them sitting there, getting their tans. Waiting for Gavones again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. waiting for Gavones. They don't, they don't really care. They have to pretend to care. Which led me to that scene in the kitchen with Tony in the in the history book. Fun dialogue. I, yeah. I enjoyed like seeing the family interact about this. But trying on an why attitude. Is to, as why is why is Tony just having that attitude? Why is Tony making this fight at this point with AJ? I don't. Does Tony actually give a shit about Columbus? Really? No. No. no I don't think so. I don't think so. So what's this about? Is, is he just making the attempt? Well. But Tony has two things, right? He mm -hmm. he has an appreciation for tradition, and in his mind, he has a way of the things, the way things should be in his house. In here, it's always 1950 or whatever that quote is, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and Tony loves history. I mean, he watches the History Channel. He has a respect for history and the way things used to be. Uh, remember, this is a character that starts off this series by saying he feels like the best days are behind him. Certainly allowing Columbus to be denigrated would be something that his forebears would not have been proud of. Mm -hmm. Um... But look, th this is the this is the conversation that's relevant to us now. We're recording this episode in early 2022. We're, you know, in a state where culture is thus that everyone is very easily outraged or offended. 
It's very hard to have discourse online or in person about almost any issue that is even the least bit fraught. Uh, we've had to take on things at sort of every cultural level of difference, and that still includes Columbus. So I guess this episode is more relevant than one would think, because you could still talk about the Native American experience versus the Italian-American experience and get as heated as they do on the Montel interview in this episode, which is played for laughs, but we could see conversation easily played out that way if we logged into Twitter right now. I don't think it would take us even a minute to find a thread that looks exactly like that conversation. Definitely. One very smart thing they do, and, relate, and this relates to, I think, how our discourse goes today. And we normally don't get super political, social issue on this podcast, but this is what The Sopranos has given us. And our podcast premise is three Italian-American storytellers right. discuss the modern-day relevance of The Sopranos. So we're going to dip into some territory on this I that we, we normally should. don't. Yep. So just that, come with that warning. We're gonna try to be as objective and fair on on this as possible. But I have a I have a question for all three of us. Yeah. Right. We've just watched this episode. We've done our notes on it. Go to your personal place for a second. How do you feel about Christopher Columbus as a figure? Mm-hmm. Really. I feel no connection to him. Um, I think I get the historicity of it and why. Italian people have felt connected yeah. and why Italian people have felt also, to use another term that we've come to before in this season, vulnerable in their history. What makes me sad about it, as depicted in this episode and depicted throughout history, is that part of our history, culturally, socially, politically, has been such that I think a knot has kind of tied things tighter, uh, whether it's left or right. And among Italian people who want to keep this tradition, it's become tighter and they've held on to it as opposed to things spreading out. For example, Memorial Day in this country largely started because of black people burying Union soldiers, but it grew out and out and it's a holiday for everybody. Um, I'd love it if an Italian pride holiday first got away from Columbus and then got away from Italian pride. Thank you. You're you're saying very something very similar to what I'm going to say. I, I I'd love to expand on what you're saying. Good, because I was done. <laughs> <laughs> you're up, Chris. Here's my thing. Right? Is ultimately what should be the goal of human interaction in the long term, and I think that's to get away from broad classifications and and see people as the individuals that they are, and for their own individual nuances and beauty and culture and race and these these categories that divide us are mainly used as a tool of separation rather than unity and it's easy when things are combative to retreat into them but the goal in the grand scale in the final analysis of it all should be to get past that that shouldn't be where we stop right and, and we tend to categorize and categorize and categorize the thing with Columbus Day I'm in an interesting position on this because I'm an Italian-American. I have very old-school, conservative Italian family members who are very much into the Columbus Day thing and are very upset with the way Columbus and the holiday now is being demonized. I'm also a modern, laid-back, laissez-faire kind of guy, and I roll in artist circles with some very progressive folks 
who are very much of the ilk that my older school Italian folks are against on this. They want it to be Indigenous Peoples Day, and Columbus is nothing short of a genocidal maniac who doesn't deserve a holiday, and all the statues should come down and the day should go away forever. I'm not there either, but neither side is fully right to me. Uh, the, the holiday started as a way for Italian-Americans to come together after a particularly horrible incident in which several Italian-Americans who were found innocent or found not guilty of murder were then lynched right after their trial, 10 of them in public, hunted down and lynched. Early I forget exactly the year, but the first Columbus Day happened a year after that, commemorating it. And what I posit to be the reason why Columbus ended up being that person is because the Medigans, right, the, 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 the powerful, assimilated white majority of the time weren't going to tolerate and it's a super Italian day. Italians and Irish, they all had their moment in the American experiment where they were the dirt, the new people, the immigrants, right? Sort of the way a lot of various immigrant groups are seen now, but yet are also assimilating into the culture more and more as years go by. So Columbus was some, somebody that the establishment in America at the time could swallow, not a big Italian-sounding name. It's not like there's a vowel. It's not like somebody like Amerigo Vespucci, who was, in, who was a less controversial explorer, perhaps, than Christopher Columbus of Italian. The continent was named after him, Amerigo, America. But that sounds too Italian. That's too Ginzo for the people who were in power at the time. So I think Italian-Americans wanted a day to honor their fallen, to celebrate Italian-American culture. And in a way, we got saddled with Columbus. And so now what happens is Italians see this happening and they see the holiday being attacked and they see the image being attacked of Columbus. And irrespective of whether it's right or wrong, whether or not Columbus was a quote-unquote victim of his time, as Carmela says in the episode, which is another thing you hear a lot, my opinion on that is irrelevant because ultimately what should happen is Italian-Americans should be given the day to celebrate their culture, have a parade, but they need to take the lead in getting Columbus out of it. Honor what, honor the good, live off what the good part earns, to quote a Soprano thing, mm -hmm. but also acknowledge the bad. And there's, there is a refusal on their part to acknowledge the bad things that Columbus did. And pick a new, like, if you don't want your holiday to disappear, Italian-Americans out there, if you really care about Columbus Day, I don't really give a shit. But if you care, lead the charge to make sh to take control of the conversation because it's going to become Indigenous Peoples Day. It's just going to. Italian-Americans are the fastest declining singular white European demographic in the United States. And you're going to lose this battle if you don't take charge of it. So if you want an Italian-American day, wor work with people to come up with a different figurehead. But that said, I also believe that the other part of that compromise is have Indigenous Peoples Day on a different day, celebrate it, come up with something, and, and let's honor both. But the ultimate goal, it frustrates me because I also think, like, how much longer do human beings need ethnic pride days? And how productive is this whole thing anyway toward the grand total of making people's lives better ultimately? Right. Yeah, that's really well said, Chris. 
Yeah. Does the Columbus Day Parade make the actual life of any Italian-American better? And then extend that to any other. Does Indigenous Peoples Day make any Indigenous person's individual life better? Does it fix the material position of their life on Earth? The answer is no. Can I ask a corollary question? Please. What is... Okay. Take it easy, Paul. <laughs> um, I'm saying this as uh, a person that's often been uh, very sympathetic to the ideas that we should take down certain statues or put them in museums. But isn't taking down a statue about as symbolic as putting it up was? So don't you still have to do more? You know what I mean? Mm. Like, these are gestures. Um, and the gestures, particularly, of these characters don't necessarily have a lot of meaning. Right. Because they're talking about who the victim is. Meanwhile, they victimize people. Right. Let's, not, let's never forget that in this equation about what these characters are discussing. I want to hear Jordan's take on this real sec, but I want to finish that up. What you Follow up exactly what you just said with, at one point in the episode, not on the Columbus storyline, Bobby's phone goes off, and it's playing La Donna Immobile, the old Italian song. And I thought to myself for a second, in the idea of image and thinking about the episode in its totality and what we're going for and this, this hyper-focus on identity and ethnicity... Does Bobby really like that song? Does Bobby sit there and listen to La Donna Immobile and understand it and feel it? Or is that just his ringtone because he's a big fat Italian guy and that's part of his identity? Mm. Think about that. Mm. The title we chose for this episode is Imago. Um, obviously it's a oblique reference to the title of the book that is being written by the professor that Father Intentola has invited to speak at the luncheon, but the definition of imago, if you just were to look it up, it just says, in psychoanalysis, it is an unconscious, idealized mental image of someone, especially a parent, which influences a person's behavior. It could be a parent. It could also be a historical figure, in this case, uh, Columbus. Um, I, Jordan, have no connection, no feeling about Christopher Columbus. Yeah. He doesn't matter to me. Same. So if tomorrow they were like, we're canceling Columbus Day, or we're taking down all the statues of Christopher Columbus, or whatever, I wouldn't feel it like as a personal attack, but I might feel it in terms of how we have discourse about culture and about what is permitted to exist and what is not. And I might um, feel uh, sort of off about that. What I mean to say is this. I, I don't think... Columbus was a good person. Uh, mm -hmm. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone who thought that Columbus was a good guy. I think he did horrible things. I think some of those were a product of his time, but I think also he was a bad man. I don't think you need to look far to, to find out that that seems to be true, or seems to have been true. It, it, it's certainly true that he did things that were morally reprehensible by today's standards. Um, does that mean we can strip him of all his other accomplishments? Not necessarily, but even those have been called into question. He's clearly a figure of great conflict. He matters much more in the respect that you two have already mentioned him in, that he's become a symbol, an imago, right, for Italian-American identity and something that they could take pride in. I don't know that we need to have ethnic holidays for pride purposes. I, you know, people will always call into question things like Columbus Day or St. Patrick's Day or mm. those things, but... To those groups, for the people that really do feel a connection to those things and those yeah. people, maybe it does provide something good in their life. Sure. Just because I have no connection to Columbus doesn't mean that they don't. What I'm saying is this. 
I think Columbus, this is a controversial opinion because I've also just started off with this, he's a terrible man. <laughs> I think Columbus might have more value as a symbol than he did as an actual historical person, right? Yes. I mean, literally divorce his name and the iconography from who he really was and what he actually did, and then try to look at it in that way, and it makes a little bit more sense because it does try to bring a group together that has felt marginalized in the past that maybe is less marginalized now and that's never a bad thing giving people access to a sense of their identity is not a bad thing it is a bad thing when it starts to come at the cost of someone else's identity and that's what this episode does well is that it says well who gets to be the victim on this day is it the native americans or is it the italian americans and i think the answer is actually both yes i think both get to say listen we've been treated poorly in the past and the tragedy of the episode that of all people it's realized most by Richard, a buffoonish character, is that <laughs> neither one of them are turning their anger to the appropriate place, which would be at the people that have subjugated them. That's the word, subjugate. To be the people that have subjugated them since time immemorial, which is the folks that essentially own America, right? Yeah. The, the real white folks who settled, colonized, took all the land away from the Native Americans and treated the Italians very, very poorly once they immigrated here. Um, that's where the anger belongs, but as is the case with most things in economy, in politics, um, the folks at the top have all the people at the bottom looking at each other and fighting each other. I think it's okay to have Columbus as a symbol, just as I think it's okay to have, I don't know, Chief Seattle or Sitting Bull as symbols. These are just symbols, ultimately. You don't have to look at the life of the man. You can let people have their symbols, just as long as you really let them have those symbols and don't try to take anything away from anyone. It's well said. I think that... Um... You know, and this image, the, the question of an image or, like, a symbol um, comes up because I think that, you know, Columbus, I thought Columbus was the hero of America, and I think it was a kind of fusion that allowed Italian people to feel good and assimilate, as as we were talking about before, because that was what the, that was the image that assimilated people and the legit people who saw themselves as legit Americans would accept Tony later on says this interesting line, Columbus was so long ago he might as well have been a fucking movie. Mm. Um, what's so interesting is that so much of the myth, I think, of course, has taken over. Even as Tony is trying to disabuse AJ, scholar that he is, um, of what he's reading, because he's on the first page of People's History of the United States and he thinks he knows the whole thing. Mm. He's trying to disabuse AJ of this alternate reading of history. And he says, you got to understand where Columbus was coming from. People thought the earth was flat, for Christ's sake. Nope. Nope. Greek philosophers figured out in, like, before Christ was born <laughs> that the earth isn't flat. Sure. Take it the fuck easy. All right? Yeah. But that shit about Columbus, that really annoys me. Well, essentially nothing um, about Columbus that we think is true is true. He didn't right. discover the New World. He didn't discover that the earth was round. Uh, he barely was an Italian. He was mostly working for Spain. Yeah. The Italian people did not love him either. Yeah. He was not even lauded in his time as a great explorer. He returned home in disgrace. They mostly stripped him of his titles. He fought for his entire life to get his wealth back from the Spanish royalty. They publicly condemned him. He was shamed in his time. He's become valuable as a symbol in the same way that Christ has become valuable as a symbol, or Shakespeare for that matter, where much of their life is in doubt, but in modern times we have them as a certain imago. Well said, guys. I really love everything you've said on that, and I agree with pretty much everything that's come out. It's a complicated thing, it's an annoying thing, and it's, it's tough waters to navigate. And I feel similarly to Richard when I watch a lot of the things. You know, a couple of the scenes in today's ep this episode was obviously created before social media was even a concept, let alone in existence. But I thought a lot about the sadness I see, I, I feel, 
in some of these scenes when I look at what's going on now because this dialogue has been amplified by the digital sphere. So two scenes in particular I'm going to mention. The Montel thing, which is hilarious that they got right. Montel. Right, played for last, but played true. true. Yeah, also. But they're, Montel and this Italian man are agreeing on the promise of America and the good things that... The symbols the, of America. The, 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 yeah, the yeah. struggles that have led to our present amazing experiment of, of what this country has done well. And then it devolves because of a terminology. He uses a phrasing that Montel takes a umbrage with. Right, he incorrectly uses the, middle the term passage. middle passage, which is, which is authentic yeah. to the, the black slavery experience. And Montel yeah. was right, but the point is that deviation on phrasing derailed the conversation. Hessian Rubin. Hessian Rubin is the next scene I was going to bring up. I see this, we see this, this is something, unfortunately, we've become used to seeing, which is people who otherwise like each other and connect on some level, arguing over images, words, labels, ways of phrasing things, semantical arguments like that, and it derails friendships and people unfriend each other and don't want to be around each other and break off into their separate tribal groups. And it is tragic. It is unfortunate to watch. You're watching it like a train wreck. Yeah. Like, Jesus, like the, how, how tragic is this that we're foregoing a deeper connection yeah. over this stuff that, to quote George Carlin, uh, George Carlin has a bit about ethnic pride where he's like, you don't... Being whatever, being Irish is not an accomplishment. It's a fucking genetic accident. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. how I feel about it. Yeah, well, with, with social media, but also really springing from the kinds of sentiments that are coming from this episode and what it's trying to speak about is we have people who want to be heard and do not want to listen, right? And that is everything that's wrong about the culture at that point and has only been exacerbated by social media, giving people far more access to other people than they would otherwise have had uh, and suddenly giving everyone a mouthpiece to... Uh, again, just make themselves heard without trying to see the humanity of the other side or really what's going on with them. What I was trying to say earlier that I can now say a little bit more eloquently is if you could sit the people down in this episode, the Italian Americans and the Native Americans, they would actually see that they have a lot more in common. Yes. Right. Than they have um, differences. And that's not to say that one's experience is worse than the other, you know, anything like that. I'm not trying to compare. Right. Or, or say one is worse or, or anything like that. When well, I'm trying to then you, when you do that, you get stupid arguments like Reuben and Hesh. Well, exactly. Well, it's, it's to say who has had it the worst, the Jewish people, the Native American people, the black people. We can all agree that all of these groups have been victimized, right? That they've yeah. all experienced horrible things. And we all should have respect for our ancestors, but we also should have respect for each other's ancestors, Right? There's a commonality amongst all of them. Again, I think the anger is so misplaced. They're angry at the wrong thing and the wrong people. I agree. Uh, there's one, I'm going to come back to something that Sylvia says at the end that I don't like, because there's a distinction between, I think, Italian people and some of the other groups in this that uh, we'll come to at the end. But um, there's a quote from one of my favorite movies, Bullworth. I'll paraphrase it, because to do it the right way would not be cool. Um, but rich people have always stayed on top by dividing white people from black people. Yes but white people have more in common with black people than they do with rich people. So that's the idea. The Native American activists have more in common with Tony's mob guys than anybody on this episode does with Chief Doug Smith, who 
runs the casino and is making millions of dollars and talking about the activist's ivory tower, quote-unquote. Del Red Clay, for whatever you think about him or not, is in the fucking streets doing what he's doing. Yes. This oh. asshole is a total fraud. His great-grandmother uh, was a quarter mohunk. Chief Smith is his Chief name? Chief Doug Smith. Chief the Doug whitest Smith. possible Correct. name. Chief Doug Smith, uh, I think, reminds me most of the Reverend James Jr. Yeah. Oh, right? yeah. Uh, or, or these are similar characters where it's just you have the appearance of helping the people that you're supposed to be representing, but actually you are doing these backroom deals with your, your enemy, right? These are exploiters, right? These are people who exploit the victimhood of others. Del Red Clay might be an annoying character to some, but I understand him, you know? Uh, I, I don't understand. Well, I should say I understand and despise Chief Doug Smith, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, I don't hate Del Red Clay. I hate Chief Smith. Of course. Yeah, I mean, the, it's a, these are really good points that, you know, people on The Sopranos, one of the tough things about the show, I think, and it's some people don't like about maybe episodes like this and episodes that do have characters who are non-white, is that we see that American Indians are fallible. We see that at some level, all, just about everyone is corruptible, particularly if you interact mm. with these underworld figures. I think it was another thing that got some blowback for the this episode. But I think, you know, depicting the, the, the faults and even the eccentricities and strange qualities of what what an American Indian might be doing, how they might go about a protest, and the outright hypocrisy of somebody and um, and self service of a character like Doug Smith is very frank and uh, I thought was interesting. I thought the actor was really funny. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's we have some we have a moment in this episode where uh, Silvio says we have to kind of like win this. It's like a battle of hearts and minds, right? And there's a campaign that he's collaborated with Ralphie. I'm rolling my eyes, <laughs> Ralphie on where they're going to like uh, come public with the truth about Iron Eyes Cody, who famously is an Italian man who uh, posed as a Native American, but also like devoted his life to Native American causes, right? more commentary on Imago is Iron Eyes Cody more valuable as a symbol or as uh, as the man he truly was and is the truth better than the fiction in this case mm. um Del Red Clay has a moment where he's afraid of it he, he doesn't know is this is is this true he asks you know sound sounding outraged but it's a fucking um, disaster <laughs> right but it ultimately sort of doesn't matter uh, yeah. like just like diminishing Columbus the man diminishing Iron Eyes Cody doesn't take away the strife of those people you yeah. know, uh, and Ralph and Sylvia don't really understand that. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's nothing you can do that's going to take away the damage and the hurt of the Native American people. Uh, you know, we'll get to the discussion in the car, I I, th I assume, next. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the, the whole thing is that um, it's a complicated issue that's really only solved through, like, humanity and compassion. And it's kind of what everyone's lacking in this episode. Yeah. I agree. I guess they're... I mean, that's a really good point, because they're too busy seeing to themselves. Yeah. Is that, yeah. Well, I think everyone wants to be, like, intellectually right, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I want to be the most right. I want to be the smartest, and I want to be smug and self-satisfied about being so correct. We have a whole discourse online, uh, whether you want to call it woke discourse or PC discourse, or however you want to phrase it, where, like, being the most correct, the most pure the most culturally aware and the most culturally sensitive gives you status, right? But 
that shouldn't matter. What should matter is that everyone is able to feel validated in some way, yeah. whatever their opinion is, that they're allowed to speak their mind, that they're allowed to write their opinion, that they're allowed to engage in compassionate and thorough discourse without being condescended to or made to feel stupid. Yeah. You know, but, but none of our characters are able to negotiate that. We touched on this a little bit in a discussion we had over dinner, and I hesitate to bring this up because it's touchy. But one of the things I did as part of a different project I was doing over the pandemic, I got to interview Daryl Davis, who is a black musician and activist, who I'm a big fan of. I love this guy. And if you're not familiar with him, look him up. He has a documentary that's excellent. He personally converted over 200 KKK and neo-Nazi members to get out of their organizations. So... I know the prevailing correct quote-unquote viewpoint of those concerned with social justice is that you shouldn't talk to, listen to, interact with, or validate white supremacists, right? But Daryl Davis has tangible results. You can't argue with the closet he has full of these Klan robes that people gave him when they left. That's results. That's tangible change. His first thing that he'll say that he does when he's interacting with a white supremacist is, first thing I do is I listen to them. I make them feel heard because if I really make them feel heard, they will listen to me. And that's really, and that's where change happens. And it's not to say that people should be allowed to be harmed or that you should tolerate oppression and abuse from these groups. But it does mean that if you really care about making change, a dialogue has to happen because if you're not talking, you're fighting. Yes. And the people on this show, and unfortunately many of the people in our world are just not equipped or prepared or set up to do that. And That's really well said. I think another thing about the characters on this show is that they are... This show is not sentimental. No. It's a, the Sopranos is a comedy of menace. The characters are sentimental about certain things. And I think that's part of what is fun about the last scene where Tony is calling Silvio out. He's like, Cause it just doesn't make any sense. Bottom line business. Being mm. a crook. Being a gangster. Silvio's, first of all, Silvio's sentimentality is not consistent because he forgot it was a Monday because all he was thinking about was Blackjack. Um, but that's all over this episode. Sfurio, not a character who's typically full of sentiment. Not a character who says things that don't need to be said. Hesh. Pragmatic character becomes sentimental. Uh, Johnny Sack, typically a cold, calculating gangster. Somebody said something about his wife, now it's all sentiment. This is going to be a problem yeah. going forward. And let's talk about this last scene, because Tony's rant in the car really is what this all has been building to. I love this conversation. I love the way it's staged, too. I love Chris and Patsy just kind of looking at each other like, we're going to mostly stay out of this one. <laughs> and Syl and Paulie are just going at it here, and... Tony's had enough. Tony's had enough of the bullshit. He has to tell Syl a few scenes earlier when the Iron Eyes Cody thing comes back. It's like knowing James Conn is an Italian, which is a funny way to compare that, by the way. Yeah. It's true. James Conn. I didn't course, know that, by the way, prior to watching this Oh, yeah, episode. James Conn, the iconic actor who plays Sonny Corleone in The Godfather, is Irish. Very Irish. <laughs> but he did a great job. I mean, that's an iconic character. He did spend a few months with gangsters preparing for that, as, as I understand. But, yeah, they're having this, they're having it out after Syl was like, 
All right, we think this Del Redclay's fucking a graduate student. We hire a detective, and Tony has to say, <laughs> I think it's over, Sil. Yeah. And then Tony gets quote-unquote buttonholed as a response for reaching out to Del Redclay and failing, by the way. He has to get Frankie Valley to appear at the casino. You have the dumb Fagawi joke. There's a lot of little. There's a lot of little funny moments in this episode. A lot of funny lines and things like that. The whole sequence at the church. We'll talk about that briefly in a second. But let's talk about this conversation in the car. Tony and this conversation about symbols and Chef Boyardee and Godfather. Has our pull quote. Where's our self esteem? Whatever happened to Gary Cooper? There's a lot of laugh lines in this he scene. He died. He died. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean because... Yeah, no, no. It's very funny. He'd, if, if Gary Cooper around say he'd have been a member of some victim group, uh, the gays or whatever. <laughs> and Chris, Chris says the line, he was gay, Gary Cooper? <laughs> no! Tony's frustrated. But, yeah, what do we make of this? And is Tony's rant here sort of the thesis of the show in, in, in a nutshell on this? It is. The final word. This final scene nicely comments on sort of every scene that came before it. Everyone is too much in their feelings. They're not in their head where they should be. Yeah. Um, you know, we have our ladies at the luncheon, mm. right, listening to this woman speak. She's buffoonish in the same way a lot of our academic characters are buffoonish on mm. this show. Um, but we understand what she's saying, right? You can't allow yourself to be reduced to certain stereotypes. Yeah. The feelings from the women override any rationale they could have in this scene, right? They have to tell Father Intentola how how dare he insult the people that really keep this uh, parish together, yeah. right? But I don't think he even thought of that. I right, think yeah. he just hired this person and he wants to eat his cannoli and be left in peace. Do you yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Similar to Tony. Uh, he you... doesn't really care about this Christopher Columbus shit. Yeah. Yep. Other people who are pretending to care themselves are deciding to be sentimental and are dragging the more logical people inside of it. It all becomes this toxic sludge after a while where everyone gets drawn into it whether they wanted to or not. And Tony, once again, is emulating, or not emulating, I should say, he's... Um, Harkening back to a simpler time when there was allegedly the strong silent type that wasn't constantly sharing their feelings about everything and forcing everyone else to uh, reconcile with those feelings. That's well said. I love, I mean, I love the <laughs> scene is really funny. When Tony is talking about Gary Cooper, he says, it, Sil says, oh, you mean because he fought the Sioux in all those westerns? And Tony says, no, fuck that. And he's talking about Gary Cooper and he says, Gary Cooper, he fought the Miller gang single handed. It's like, that's another thing he did in a movie. <laughs> Tony, like Tony himself, can't separate the images and symbols from what's real. Yeah. Um, but he is talking. I mean, it's some real talk. To Tony say. has no fucking clue what Gary Cooper was like in his per personal life. No, no. Absolutely he only not. has the image from the like movie. Columbus. Yeah, he right. has. Only that's all we really have. Idea of him. Yeah. yeah. Um, but so yeah, I mean, he is right about it. Seems the images idea, and I like to think that actually uh, that. This is, I think, unapologetically Chase talking to us in some way. When Tony says, where the fuck is our self-esteem? And I chose that as our pull quote. He's talking, I think, evocatively about Italian-Americans, right? That doesn't yeah. come from the Godfather, Chef Boyardee. Just my reading or what I'd like to think. I kind of think David Chase is saying that not to Italian-Americans, but to Americans. Yeah. Like all of us, like, let's all take a second here. Mm -hmm. and ask this last this of ourselves yeah you know very good very well said and i agree 
Syl gives the classic retort. Well, what, but what about, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you have to tiptoe around the Indians. We can't name our things or whatever. And then Tony shuts it down. Well, you can take that up with Frankie Valley when you talk to him. <laughs> Cut into Dawn. Uh, the song, the song I've also, I love that Syl's daughter goes to a place called Lackawanna College. Yeah. In the oh. midst of this conversation yes, about that's... American Indians. Yep. You got a kid at Lackawanna College. Yeah, and ultimately points out the the elephant in the room, which is that Silvio's done quite well for himself, and life had perhaps some emotional adversity for him at times, but in the end, he has what he has, and he doesn't have it because he's Calabrese. He has it because he's Silvio Dante, and he's part of the mob and all of the <laughs> other privileges and benefits that come with it. But, yeah, it's an interesting hour. It's an interesting hour. Do you Do you feel that ultimately it was worth it? I know we had the, we had a great discussion about it, but... Is this something The Sopranos was right to do? Uh, perhaps not. No. I I think it was good. I I would have liked to see it sewn up more elegantly in an episode that furthered the plot more, uh, rather than an episode that felt like it parked on it. Mm. Um, others may disagree. I, I think we're going to get listeners that listen to me on this episode, and they're like, it's not the one that Jordan didn't really like, so he like <laughs> sabotaged like the way like he presented the narrative <laughs> or something like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> But uh, it's just true. It was just, I was really compelled when I had other scenes to focus on, and I, we spent so much time with the Columbus shit, where it's just like, I got it. I, I know what you're trying to say. Uh, stop. Mm. You know, was it worth it? Sure. I, I got another wonderful, great episode of The Sopranos, and I'm excited to keep watching. If this had been the only episode I watched on a Sunday night and I had to wait a whole nother week, I'd be disappointed. Mm. I don't think it helped the cause at all, by the way, that the episode was written by Michael Imperioli and entitled Christopher. Because you think, looking at that title ahead of time on your TV guide, like, ooh, this is going to be a big Christopher episode. He's barely in it. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, those are my final thoughts. I didn't particularly care for the episode. It will probably end up in my season worst or my bottom or whatever. I like a hit is a hit much better. Um, yeah, I don't, want, I don't want to pick on it anymore. Obviously, there was a lot of the episode that I liked yeah. that we focused on in the early part of this episode. Oh, yeah. So that's it. That's it for me in the show. Yeah. I guess maybe I liked it a little more than that, but I will say also that I enjoyed the last episode more as well as talking to you guys about it. And the next episode, which has some similar themes, I'm looking forward to watching more and talking about with you guys. Um, I think it'll it'll get us back. It'll get the engine running again on this season. Mm-hmm. Very well said. One or two little things I just want to comment on because I think we've covered the general theme and topic of the show very well is... Another little plot stone that they touched down on. It's barely a scene, so we don't even need to dwell on it. But I just wanted to mention two quick things. Three, actually. Three quick things real fast. Oh, Lord. This episode never ends. No, it ends. Junior's <laughs> trial has started. They oh, did, yes, They yes, did yes, give yes. us one scene of that. It's just letting us know this is still happening. The trial begins. Junior's complaining about how much money the phone bill costs. <laughs> and then the jury gets brought in. That's literally all we get of it. Short of Junior's phone call with... Bobby, well, calling Bobby and he gets Carmela. Carmela's still burning that flame from season one, refuses to give Junior any, don't villainize me, please. And she just hangs up on him. So that was an interesting little bit there. The return of Father Phil to the show. He's still lingering in this strata. He's obviously... I hope he chokes on that fucking cannoli. He's a... <laughs> he did bring up that alternate study. 
I think he's a bottom three character for me. Like, in all the Sopranos. In yeah. all the characters we ever meet. Like, bottom three. Yeah, he's one of the worst. Uh... But, like, compliments to that actor. Oh, he's great. Amazing, but bottom three. <laughs> and, of course, the last just little note I want to linger on before we fully roll out here is let's not forget what was going on when the Montel clip was playing. Because this is something that's now become too recurring to no, to not notice. Carmela and Furio sharing a lot of smiles and affection with their Estrufoli. I love Estrufoli, by the way. Excellent. I wish the scene around it were a little bit more pronounced or compelling because it might make for a good food moment during a retrospective. It's just because I love Estrufoli. But there were some looks in the scene. This is definitely a crush. And... Yeah. Starting to get vibes that it might not just be Carmela either. So keep an eye on the Furio Carmela. I hope Furio's not that stupid. Well, it's they were smiling and looking at each other, sharing us truthfully, and then their attention got turned. She's looking at the pictures of the house. This is something to keep an eye on. We'll oh see. But yeah, that's it. That's Christopher. It's one in the books. I'm looking forward to what's going to happen in the next one. I said this for i say this a lot but the next episode is legitimately one of my favorites in season four you say that every episode no i didn't i said it for no show all right <laughs> i said it for no show but the next episode is actually it, it hits the accelerator on a lot of recording things. with chris and paul is abominable <laughs> because they know the show frontwards and backwards and whatever and every episode is coming like oh my god this episode and i'm always like <laughs> i watch it i'm like what with this one which one what were you talking about why this one <laughs> So that's it. But thank you so much for joining us and thank you for tolerating us. Like I said, <laughs> well, you know, it's an, it, 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 this is definitely the most unique podcast episode we've done just because of the subject matter we discussed. But like I said, this is we're here covering The Sopranos ultimately. This wasn't meant to be a discussion necessarily about the socio-political climate, but on a podcast about The Sopranos and its contemporary relevance, this is what they gave us this week. So this is what we worked with. Hope, I hope you enjoyed it or at least got some enjoyment out of it. And if this annoyed you and you never want to hear us talk about this kind of shit again, the good news is they never do an episode like this again. So <laughs> have fun with that. Thank, that. You so, <laughs> thank you so much for listening to us. I would propose that they replace all the statues of Christopher Columbus with James Gandolfini. That. See? James Gandolfini Day. You have your Italians out there at the parade. Everyone would love it. Done. How about that? Who the hell would have an issue with that? How that, about that? How about that? How about that? How about that? Thank you all so much. I'm Chris D'Amato. I'm Paul Mantini. And I'm Jordan Hugh. And we will see you next time for The Wait. He was gay, Gary Cooper? I got myself a girl.